This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. Hi, I'm Ryder Taff, Portfolio Manager at New Perspectives, a fee-only financial advisory and co-host of Money Talks. Each week, we take your personal finance questions and tell you about a money topic we hope you find helpful. Money Talks can be heard Tuesdays at 9 a.m. on MPB Think Radio. Podcasts can be found on our website, money.mpbonline.org, or on your smart device's podcasting platform. Welcome to In Legal Terms from MPB Think Radio, the show all about you and your rights. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon of the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. Hello, Professor Gershon. Good morning, Liz, and I hope you had a great weekend. I want to give a shout out to the Ole Miss women's basketball team. Uh, they beat the number one seeded Stanford Cardinal, uh, and uh, they're moving on. So, uh, you know, they don't get a lot of a lot of notice, uh, but they're doing great, and we're I know. I hope everyone in the state uh, pays some attention to them. But today we are excited to welcome Andrea Sanders, who is the commissioner of the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services to the show. Uh, Commissioner Sanders, good morning. Um, Would you please tell us a little bit about your background and how you became interested in working for MDCPS? Good morning, Professor. Thank you for having me and hotty toddy. Uh, First and foremost, I'm a rebel. and a Mississippian. I was born and raised here. Um, I went to Ole Miss for two years, Millsaps for two. I've sort of covered the state. Um, I have a background. I have a master's in social work from Tulane. And then later, when I had small children, I decided I needed a challenge and decided to go to law school at Mississippi College School of Law. So um, I I truly have covered the state. And um, I'm excited to be here to talk to you about the work we do now. Well, and it's so it's such important work. And, and would you please tell us a little bit about some of the, the work that uh, the department deals with? You know, the department's uh, mission, I say, is fairly simple. Our role is to protect children, um, but it's extremely complicated work because we are protecting children often in their own homes um, from their own caretakers. And I consider that stepping into pretty sacred space. I think that family is sacred and that, um, you know, there's a wide range of of parenting techniques. And um, so I take it really seriously. And I think it's important that we balance um, safety of child and and, um, strengthening of families. But we do investigate when there are allegations of abuse or neglect um, by the child's caregiver. Um, We also have some authority to initiate investigations in exploitation issues where um, trafficking may be implicated. We work closely with law enforcement from the attorney general's office and from the uh, Department of Public Safety in those matters. Um, Additionally, everyone's familiar with the term foster care, I suspect. When we do investigate, we have to work closely with the courts. Um, It is a legal matter to take someone's child away from them. So uh, we work through um, the sitting youth court in each jurisdiction, and we make recommendations based on our clinical observations and expertise. The court makes the decision whether to remove a child from parents' custody and as as you can imagine, certain due process findings need to be made. Um, it's a serious matter to take someone's child from them, and it should be difficult. 
um, but it should also be expedited when it's necessary. Um, we recruit and license foster parents, and they have a really unique role, which is to help us provide a family-based environment for a child while we're sorting out this complicated business with the courts. Um, ideally, we turn return the kid back to their biological home. Uh, it's where the least trauma uh, mentally happens for the child unless the situation, unless the circumstances are are egregious. Um, under aggravated circumstances, you know, uh, if a child suffered uh, severe physical abuse, um, there are certain instances where the law should skip over um, returning the child to their home. Those turn out to be fairly rare, to be honest. Well, and you know, and, and you know, one of the things that the, the department does is facilitate adoptions, um, which is kind of a happier circumstance uh, when you when you do find a, a home for a child that's a more permanent home. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that role and, and what is the Mississippi Heart Gallery? Yes, sir. Um, adoption is near to my heart. Uh, I actually was adopted at birth, um, along with my older brother, and. Um, that is one of the happier roles that we get to play, uh, reunifying a child with their own family or sending them on to an adoptive family, a forever family, um, are the two sort of joyful occasions we get to be involved in. Um, in our circumstances, we do facilitate adoptions, but because of the unique role that we play, we are dealing with children who have, by definition, been either abused or neglected by their own, uh, by, by their caretaker. So there are extra assurances and safeguards that need to be taken. And um, one of those is that families have to have fostered within the system for six months before we can approve them, in most circumstances, before we can approve them to be an adoptive family. Um, there are background checks and home studies that have to be completed. And it, it is a, it's a, burdensome process. We're looking internally at ways to make that more um, consumer-friendly, but in the end, the important thing is that we make sure that we do everything possible to ensure that that child not go back into another traumatic situation. Children's ability to um, their resilience from these situations is very dependent on not re-traumatizing them. That's that's so important, and um, and and it, it's the best interest of the child is is always what you're looking for. What uh, can, the, there's uh, on your website, there's uh, uh, some information about the Mississippi Heart Gallery. Could you tell us a little bit about what that is? Yes, that is uh, um, that's one tool that we have to help connect children with forever families. Those children on the Heart Gallery are what we consider um, in legal terms to be legally free for adoption. So. Um, the decision has been made by the court that they cannot safely return to their own family. So they've already been through the, the legal process of terminating, the, having their parents' rights terminated. And uh, they're, they're in our custody um, and waiting. They, they need a, a, a forever home. Those children tend to be older, um, 10 and up. And uh, they some have special needs. We don't post their photographs for confidentiality reasons, but we posted a short bio on our website. And those kids are really 
they desperately need a a permanent place to know that uh, just a place to call home to be frank um before they begin to get older and try to start facing uh you know adult situations in life um we have another program that I'm uh, another tool in our bucket now that I'm excited about as well and that's Wendy's wonderful kids um through the Dave Thomas uh foundation we have 10 dedicated workers who are working to some some of the kids who are on the heart gallery but they take kids 12 and older and start really researching um, their history their community and look for targeted placements to try to pair those kids with um, a family that might be a match but two two initiatives that are really important to try to make uh, a permanent situation for a child who's who's moving into their teen years or even aging into older teen years you can send us a question to our email address. That's legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're discussing our foster care system in Mississippi with the commissioner for Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services, Andrea Sanders. Would you like to watch a video about becoming a foster parent? Well, you really can't do that on the radio, but I tell you how you can next. This is in legal terms. Now, not everybody has a chance to listen to our show live. So if you have missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on our website, inlegalterms.mpbonline.org. Our host is Professor Richard Gershon from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. There's a YouTube video because, of course, there is a YouTube video on foster parent recruitment, things you should know. It's on the Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services website. I'll have that link on the link on the show information for this show. Today, we're talking about foster care in Mississippi with our guest, Commissioner for Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services, Andrea Sanders. Yes, Liz, and this is such important information. We appreciate uh, Commissioner Sanders being with us. Um, and, and, you know, one of the uh, roles that you have to play is very difficult to remove a child from their home. And, and exactly at what point do you determine uh, that it's time for a child to go to foster care? And, and how is that process initiated? And how do you find a place to put them? Um, that is a, that's a very full question, Professor. Um, I mentioned earlier that the the removal of children from custody um, is a serious legal matter, and I often tell people it should be harder to take someone's child than their land. Um, as parents, I think we can all agree to that. Um, in this state, there are actually three separate legal causes of action that have to occur um, subsequent to each other for a child to move from what I call the front door of the agency, so entering custody until they leave custody uh, to some form of permanency. And uh, that, that early phase of the case occurs in whichever court sits as the youth court. In Mississippi, we have a couple of different fundamental systems. One is um, a county-based court system, and we have 22 of those in 22 counties, the more populous counties. In uh, the remainder of the counties, we have a number of uh, – Chancellors usually appoint a, a referee to hear those cases. Uh, so a lot of people work really hard at this process, and it takes much more than just child protection services to make a good decision. We really gather clinical information. We go into the home. 
Um, we observe, we smell, we look in refrigerators, we um, gather evidence, basically. And then we come back to the court and report that evidence to the court. The court has, um, it has to make an early decision um, you know, in the form of like an emergency hearing. We call it a shelter hearing. And so the court, with the information provided by CPS, decides whether to uh, sort of do a temporary removal from custody for safety of the child. I call it the terrible question, um, the query, if you will, that we have to weigh with the court is we know we'll do um, significant trauma to a child by removing them from their home. Um, Then the question becomes, are we doing more trauma by leaving them in the home or uh, more trauma by removing them? And that's just a hard choice. Um, It's, it's, you know, it's not something that is an exact science, and so it takes the prosecutor, the um, the the agency as a witness, and wise judges to really you know to weigh those facts and and make the best decision they can in the circumstances. Um, then there's about a sixty day period where we continue to gather information, get more information about the child's extended family. Uh, about the community they live in, about the circumstances of their home. And we try to work with parents during that time. Um, You can imagine this is a relationship sort of fraught with peril. We've gone into the home. We've taken a child out of the home. And then we go back to parents and say, we want to engage with you and help you become better parents. So you know, it's it's an awkward relationship, Um, something that we're committed to getting better at. But we work with the youth court um, at a point called uh, there's an adjudication hearing that should occur within the first 60 days of initiation of the case. And that's where a more permanent decision is made about whether the child is going to stay in foster care or whether the child can stay in their own home but perhaps have services um, provided in the home. And I will tell you that Mississippi has had a a dearth of services in the past. We are really committed as an agency to um, making those much more robust. So we're in the process now of building through contract. um, In-home wraparound services is really the the kind of um, clinical term, but intentional services to go in and assist the family and, and see if we can help make that a more stable place for the child to live. Um, there, there is, is a regular permanency review um, that occurs, um, hopefully within the first twelve to sixteen months uh, of the child being in custody, and um, or a disposition hearing. Sorry, um, but then that permanency review is happens within the court. Um, should happen around sixteen months, eighteen months, and. That's when the court makes a determination. Is the plan for this child still to reunify or is the plan adoption? Which which path are we going on to get to permanency? And um, and the court is able, as in a lot of other circumstances, to have concurrent plans. So sometimes the plan is we'll try to continue to reunify, but we're going to go ahead and move forward with proceedings to work towards adoption because this is not looking good. Um, the most important thing is to get the child to a stable place and a permanent place and not move them around multiple times and not let them get hung up in um, a complicated legal process. 
I have a I have a question. You had mentioned that uh, that uh, you know you and your your brother were adopted. I suppose if a situation is not safe for a child, it's not safe for their siblings too. Is is it uh, is it common? Is it hard uh, to relocate uh, siblings together? It is. It's a um, that is a really complicated situation. Often, you know, sometimes it happens in the middle of the night. Um, that's going to be a situation where the whole home is unsafe for kids. And there are situations where that's not really the case. Maybe a newborn is not safe in an environment where the family already has three kids and, you know, they don't have proper sleep. Uh, equipment. Sometimes we can go in and get them the, you know, the crib they need and some training and remedy that situation or remove the newborn and give them some relief um, and some parent training. But when, when you're talking about the whole home environment being unsafe for children, yes, you need to remove every child that's in the home. And that's a tough thing because once you've pulled children from their home and which is is traumatic for literally every child, no matter what circumstance they're living in. And um, then separating from their siblings is the worst, second worst thing we can do. And so if you've got a sibling set of five or six in the middle of the night, you can imagine that that is a, that's a tough call right there. Um, we don't, we're, we can't foster, we can't license foster families to keep more than five children safely in a home, but we can make exceptions for sibling sets, and we try to do that. Well, you, you mentioned you know the, the foster uh, parents, and and how does somebody become a foster parent? What uh, you know, what are the requirements for, for becoming someone who takes these children in? Well, first of all, I think going in with your eyes wide open, and that's one reason I'm really working hard to educate the public about what it means to foster. Um, you are really you're a such an important. Um, space for that child and the ask is for you to come in and love a child like they're your own with the knowledge and understanding that the goal for that child most likely is for them to return home so um, requirement wise um, single and married people can foster Um, there are background checks that have to be passed Um, their home has to meet certain requirements and we're really working on um, I think our, our requirements have been have not been reviewed in a very long time. So uh, we're working with some outside consultants to make sure that our home studies are evidence based and that they, um, you know, that that we meet safety requirements, but not more than that. Sometimes we have silly requirements that you know you can't be a foster family because you don't have a fire extinguisher in your home. Fire extinguisher in your home. The solution to that is. We can buy them a $35 fire extinguisher and have a great, safe place for kids. So we're working to evolve as an agency and be more responsive. That's, that is so great to hear. I actually uh, know uh, of, a, of a family, a, a, a couple who fostered a child, and um, you know, that child had not had dental care, and, not, and they, they, took, they, they gave so much to that child. And then uh, I think they were heartbroken when the child was returned to the family understanding you know that 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 happens but um you know sometimes that i think the the foster parents can actually give what 
some would say better overall care to the child. So that's got to be hard for the agency and for the, the foster parents as well. It's a difficult balance. I think the court and the agency are caught in sort of this tension of, you know, do you take a child? Is it in the best interest to take a child from a home and give them to what we deem a better home? Um, And I, I just don't think legally that can be the standard because I can promise you that my two teenage sons uh, there was a point in time where there was a better home for them than Andrea's house <laughs> when they were about 13 or 14, you know, really in that stinky age. Um, but at the same time, you know, we can't draw this thing out for years and years. Um, we need to work diligently and expediently with with biological parents, give them every chance to succeed with their child and then move to permanency um, within a, a a definite period of time, I think from a year and a half to two years. Um, otherwise, so much damage really accrues to the child. The more times they get moved around, the, the longer they have to worry and wonder about what their future holds. And did I read on the website that uh, dental and medical care is, uh, if you're fostering a child, that, it, that the system helps uh, take care of that? Every child who comes into to state custody is covered under Medicaid. Um, we are working closely with Medicaid to really um, ensure that this population, this is a high, a, sort of a high acuity population. And as a state, we need to really think of it like that. Um, it's important that we meet their medical needs, um, even the basic foundational things that we can do for them. Um, and then... You know, some of them have very complex mental health needs, but yes, they're covered by Medicaid and um, they're actually covered by Medicaid if they're adopted through the state system. Again, in recognition of the fact that they've been through a lot and they they have um, often special needs above and beyond what a child adopted through the, the private system may have. I think for a lot of our guests, uh, Professor Gershon, we're talking with individuals who are looking at the rights of one party. And our our guest, um, you, Andrea Sanders, you have to you've got everybody's rights. You've got rights for the kids and right for the foster parents, but rights for the families, not to mention the feelings yeah. That ever, ever, all the feelings. <laughs> Just researching this uh, this topic gave me all the feelings, and I I just can't imagine the individuals who who work for this. Gosh, my hat goes out for you, and I went. And I hope everybody gets a group hug at the end of the day and every hour for all of the the work that is is put on, and. I can also imagine that this is a sensitive topic for some people, for families, for grandparents. So if you have a question and you don't want to say your name, we can do Lisa and John from Jackson or Biloxi when you call in. You don't have to give us your real name or where you're from if you do have a question. You can email us your questions. I'll check our emails in just a bit. Our address is legalterms at mpbonline.org. We're talking with Andrea Sanders about foster care in Mississippi. So if you would like to 
ease into the thought of adoption? I've got some information for you next. You're listening to In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. Professor Richard Gershon is our expert host. I'm Liz Gill. We do hope you'll subscribe to our podcast. This show should be up later this afternoon, or you can find MPB Think Radio recordings at mpbonline.org slash radio. So MD CPS is looking for families willing and able to parent children in foster care while actively working towards reunification efforts with biological families. We'll have information throughout the show uh, and have that information links on our website. This morning we are talking about uh, foster care with our guest, Commissioner Andrea Sanders. And uh, this, I, I've gotten a little teary-eyed, you know, talking about this. This, um, talking about babies, talking about kids, talking about a, a 17-year-old. All kids need assistance at all ages. And I think, I don't know, it's kind of like, um, I, I, I don't know, eat. Like how you should eat your, have your diet. Like you should, everybody knows you should eat healthy and you should, um, you know, eat your salad. Uh, but sometimes it's hard to step up and do the right thing. And I think about all the kids that are in, in, in foster care and everybody knows we need to take care of our society and we need to step up. And I guess sometimes it's kind of, Hard to actually get the oomph to do that. But, you know, talking about it, knowing people who are involved in the system, maybe hearing this show will give people an idea. Well, you know, maybe that's that's something I could do. We do have a call. Let's go to John. John, we're so glad that you've called in today. What's your comment or question? Well, I have three questions, and I'll try to make them as brief as possible. The first question has to do with... Uh, African-Americans, have they begin to come to more understanding about being foster parents? Uh, I find that to be some hesitation there. What are, what are some of your other questions, too, so we can, if they kind of tie together, our guest, Commissioner Andrea Sanders, can uh, can speak all on them. Okay, the second question has to do with, is it still kind of difficult to find excuse me, uh, bilingual parents, Sometimes when there is a non-speaking English child uh, at an early age in a home that doesn't speak English, uh, have, they, have they been able to lo- locate uh, environments of that sort? And the third question, uh, you all may have addressed this already. I tune in late. Has the Mississippi State statute changed for uh, allowing uh, gays to become foster parents? And I'll hang up and listen to the response. Thanks, John. We appreciate uh, hearing you and bringing these uh, to the forefront because, you know, this all goes to who can be a foster parent and why someone would and how they can step up. Well, and I think collectively your questions, excuse me, John, go to uh, looking at each child and um, evaluating that child's needs or their sibling set's needs and for the state to begin really responding specifically to children's needs. Um, and, and that's a, you know, it's complicated. Um, we're a state agency. We're always going to be a poor substitute for a family, um, but we want to be a lot more nimble in terms of 
um, working through the greater community and building these family-placed environments. Um, as to the you know, placement of the diversity of the foster parent population, we have a wide, wide diversity of, of foster parents. Um, in fact, you know, some of I, – I just learned about a lady this past year who fostered for 30 years in the Delta – and she passed away not long ago, but um, her story was so moving. She has spent her – it's her life's work. She's adopted a number of the children, and she came to my attention because we had a kid who was 14, male, um, really acting out everywhere he went. That's predictable behavior for a child who's lived in multiple placements. Um, and uh, she was an African-American foster parent. She took this kid in her house and the kid that no treatment facility could handle and no, um, you know, uh, acute care facility could handle. She made connections with him, lasting, loving connections, and he did great. And when she passed away, her adult daughter that she had adopted through the foster system kept on kept him. So we have a lot of really beautiful stories. I think the the. Um, the bad stories make media more often. Um, but yes, sir, we work really hard to, to, well, we are working to improve our ability to be nimble and match children better to the environment that they go into. Um, finding bilingual families is not as hard as it used to be. Being better at knowing where they are in our system and matching children to them is, is the part that we're, we're working to become better at. To leverage technology and and um, you know really start to specifically match kids to the place that's the right environment for them. Thank you for the questions. You know, I did PTA for twenty years or whatever. I don't know that I've had it had ever thought about my community, you know, my school that way. And if there were any children that went to my kids' schools that might need. Um, foster parenting, but when you talk about keeping kids in their community, are you like specifically talking about maybe the the church environment or the the school system that they're in? Statistically, the very best outcomes for kids is if we can early uh, in in the time that we're intervening in the family identify either extended family or what we call fictive kin. So maybe a coach from their little league team or a Sunday school teacher or someone that's known to the child that's familiar that keeps them in the same school district. Um, clearly, there are a few circumstances where that's not appropriate. Um, you know, if, if you're talking about a serious law enforcement matter or a, a trafficking issue, but by and large, we're talking about, you know, situations where that allows for the, the family to possibly reunify, but it also allows the child to um, not not have to start their life over um, every time they're moved. So statistically, they stay in the same place longer. Um, but yeah, that's what we're talking about is, is looking in their own community for people who can help care for them. And I can promise you there are kids in, that were in your school your kids' schools. Um, we have about 3,000, well, 3,776 live souls on board today. And um, that's the way I talk about these children to our staff. They're not pieces of paper. They're not cases. They're not files. And I, I promise you, I don't find many staff who think of them like that. Um, our, our employees 
you don't do this work because the pay is great or because, um, you know, every day is a picnic. So um, it's, you know, it, you can't just you can't put the kids on on the desk and go home for the weekend and come back to them. Um, it's it's a different line of work. It's public service, and we, we greatly appreciate what you're doing and what your staff is doing. And you're kind of hamstrung. We were talking a little bit during the last break about uh, the the lawsuit uh, that you ongoing uh, implications of a lawsuit from almost two decades ago that you're dealing with. Can you tell us a little bit about the Olivia Y lawsuit, which is referenced on your on your website? Yeah, sure. Um, Olivia Y was one of a class of plaintiffs, and the allegations are that the state did not take good care of them while they were in foster care. Um, and so the these lawsuits, there are multiple states across the country who are under similar lawsuits. Um, as you can imagine, legally um, trying to sort out the messiness of this work, you know, we don't get it right every time. Um, and it's really important to focus on how the greater system, the legal system, and the clinical service delivery agency uh, can produce better outcomes, even though they're imperfect, for children. Um, that lawsuit has been ongoing for 18 years now. Um, the state agreed early to a very broad settlement agreement. Um, and, you know, and I wouldn't presume to to use my benefit of hindsight to say what they should have done at that time. But over the years, the state has agreed to multiple iterations of that settlement, and it's very, very broad. Um, it includes 177 metrics, 77 of which need to be met at 100 percent perfection uh, threshold for two consecutive years in order be, to be considered um, compliant. So there's some impossibility in that agreement, if you can imagine. Uh, state agencies, I doubt that we will do anything to 100% perfection. We need to we need to focus on doing it really well because these are live children and the stakes are high. But um, I've been working closely with uh, the monitors, the court-reported monitors, and the plaintiffs to negotiate a different direction in that lawsuit because I think that um, – Focusing solely on the lawsuit has not produced the outcome that the plaintiffs wanted. Um, <clears throat> and that's something that we can both agree on. And so we've negotiated what I consider smaller steps. We need to take building block steps to build out an agency over time that is is set up to respond. You know, I mentioned earlier building a system that's not dependent on me, that will outlast me. Um, and that's what we've – we're – we're actually back in negotiations. We just finished a year and a half period that we called a rebuilding period to focus on getting um, more workers in the system where the kids are, to focus on making sure that we get kids the dental and uh, early health care screenings that they need. And uh, basically, I call it building out the basics before we start to get fancy, but um, that that phase of the um, the negotiated settlement um, ended January 31st, and we're now back in a negotiating phase to consider what the next step should be in the lawsuit. My goal is to continue to give assurances to the plaintiffs of safety for children, 
but give the state enough room and freedom to make systemic change that can last. Gosh, I mean, this this is really talking about Mississippians stepping up to take care of Mississippians and, and doing it the right way. Oh, gosh, I just I'm I'm loving the show today. You can call in with your questions. You can give your name or you can give somebody else give a different name. We're taking your questions on our email address, legal terms at mpbonline.org. Our guest is Commissioner Andrea Sanders, and we're learning about foster care. Where can you learn a little bit about some of the families waiting to be part of a family? I'll tell you more about that next. Thank you for being part of In Legal Terms. If you've missed any of our program, you can listen to the whole show on the MPB Think Radio YouTube channel. Oh, my gosh, I find so many things on YouTube, and it kind of, like, takes me down the rabbit hole. So, oh, if you watch the – if you want to become a foster parent on YouTube, I'm sure there will be some other uh, other recommendations for other types of uh, things to watch. But our show you can watch on YouTube, sort of watch, listen to. But it's also available on the MPB Public Media app, as are our local shows Professor Richard Gershon is our host from the University of Mississippi School of Law. I'm Liz Gill. At 11 a.m. Central on Tuesdays, following our over-the-air broadcast, you can hear Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. So we've mentioned it before. When you go to the Heart Gallery, that's part of the MDCPS website, you will truly have it tugging on your heart. There are bios listed for children who are waiting for adoption. I think your website says there's about 300 over between three and 400 children. And we'll have links to this page and the other information on our show so that you can find out more about our topic. We are talking today with Andrea Saunders, Commissioner for Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services. We have two callers. Let's go to Cynthia in Oxford. Cynthia, thanks for hanging on. What's your comment or question? Yeah, thanks. I want to thank Andrea, first of all, for her really important work. Um, I have a couple friends who adopted a cousin's, two of a cousin's children because they were really um, suffering and she was, the mother was addicted to hard drugs and couldn't kick it. But um, they also felt really bad because she kept, this woman kept having more children and having them taken away because she couldn't cope and, you know, evidently didn't have access to or ability or knowledge of, you know, family planning. And I'm just wondering if that is part of the equation, you know, in terms of when you're supporting the families, helping the families with resources, it just seems like it would make sense that family planning birth control would be really important. You know, Cynthia, thank you. Uh, Cynthia, thank you, um, first of all, for acknowledging our work. And um, I I would say that you're really kind of getting at the heart of um, what we consider in this industry um, prevention work, which is getting upstream from abuse and looking at ways that as a community we can um, empower families and give them the knowledge and the tools and the resources to uh, make sure that they are good parents for the children in their home. And um As a state, we have largely been an agency that responds 
um, after the the abuse occurs. But nationally, um, we know that outcomes are better for children uh, when we when we start to think of it more as a public health issue and prevent child abuse before it happens. Um, empowering families, giving them the the tools. Sometimes it's just knowledge, um, parenting techniques, um, what's available to them, um, you know, before they get to the point where they've abused a child um, at, you know, once they've had three in their household. Gosh, in my house, my first infant really rocked my world. Um, He had reflux and he screamed at me all night. And I'm proud to say I didn't shake him, but I had, you know, a husband two sets of grandparents and my sister who uh, acted almost like another mom. So when my children were born, I would have to repeat the mantra, do not shake that baby. Do not shake that that baby. Did you do it to the beat of of (laughs) gently sort of rocking the baby? Don't shake the baby. Don't shake the baby. Um, It's hard. Being a parent's really, really hard. So um, you know, helping helping people see what they're getting into, yeah, I think that's... um, Part of the equation, um, drugs and alcohol and mental health issues in our state are a fundamental root cause of poor parenting. And I think that that goes back to my belief that if we could address this population of live souls, the 3,776 that I have right now, um, we could change this state because addressing this population would mean that we, we've got to truly, genuinely address mental health and drug addiction at its core in the community where people live. We, there, you know, I, I said last year we can't foster our way out of this, and we can't we can't build enough hospital beds. Um, but we need to really get at the core of community based treatment um, and and services for families when they find themselves in these situations. Thanks, Cynthia. We appreciate you calling in. We have one last caller. I think they want to talk about older teens and adoption of older teens. Let's call you Chris. Chris, thanks for calling the show. What's your comment or question? Okay, I have a question uh, for children. So the parent actually left the child um, in a home and went to another state. So... The person that's trying to help the child get relocated found the grandfather. The grandfather has medical issues. So my question is for that parent or for those people who are trying to help the two children. One lady has had a child since she was five. She don't get any aid for the child because the parent still has the child's information, get all the support. Um, What do you suggest for that person that's taking care of this now young lady, almost 16, when she's trying to get her driver's license? And she doesn't have any way of getting that information to help that child. Although, she's had that child since she was about five. So what are you suggesting that that person do to help the child that needs help now and for the child that she's been keeping for years? So she doesn't have legal custody, but she has physical custody of the children. Is that what you're saying? She doesn't doesn't have legal anything, but she has been keeping this child for, I mean, since she was at least five years old. Mm -hmm. And the parent is okay with that. But now that the, the child is of age and needs to get, you know, say her driver's license, you know, sure. the person who's taking care of them doesn't have any way of getting that information, you know, like going to the Social Security office and getting a Social Security card. 
getting a birth certificate so they can get a driver's license. And then the second child is now abandoned. Well, we're not going to say abandoned, say mishap. They tried to find a placement for the young man because he's in and out of school. So they're not able to take care of that child. They're trying to find a, a relative to help with that young man. Okay. So, Chris, I would like to get more um, information from you after the show to help you individually. But I think um, holistically and systemically, this is all part of why I'm really pushing at the legislature for a legal path to permanency. And I'm encouraging everyone to look at how convoluted our legal path is right now. There are three separate causes of action. That doesn't That doesn't mean much to you, but it's difficult to get a child to what I call legal permanency. And there are other tools for doing that besides adoption. There is durable legal custody, which can give a parent um, the rights and the the ability that they need to um, advocate on behalf of that child and, and meet the child's needs without necessarily terminating the parent's rights. So, um... I'd say that right now the system is messy for that, but that is definitely on my radar and something that we are um, really working closely with judges, lawyers, um, prosecutors, and the legislature to try to smooth that path out. I call it paving the legal path to permanency. So hang on, and we will get your information to our guest because we're out of time. This has been such a quick hour, and oh gosh, Andrea, we'd love to have you back another time this was to, fun. to talk more. Uh, our guest has been Andrea Sanders, Commissioner for Mississippi Department of Child Protection Services. Thanks, Professor Gershon, and uh, good luck to everybody's brackets for NCAA. Mine, mine are still going. I've got two teams that are still going, and Thank you all so much for listening. Remember, our podcast will be up later this afternoon. Our team consists of Jay White. Our podcast producer is Jermaine Flood. And for Professor Richard Gershon, who hosts from the University of Mississippi School of Law, I'm Liz Gill. Join us next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Central for In Legal Terms on MPB Think Radio. This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand.